everybody has their own tango. It's not the tango is owned by anybody. I'm not going to say my tango is better than yours because you're not me and I'm not you. So whatever you feel and whatever works for you is fine. It just may not work for me in the same way, you know? Yeah. So it's just like in life, you find a partner that you want to be with or sometimes you don't. And for whatever reason, whatever baggage we bring to the dance floor, we do. We bring the, our own personal experiences and some match, some don't. I'm Liz Sabachik, and this is Humans of Tango, where we explore what tango has to teach through the experiences of those who dance it. For Eugenia Park, even decades before she started dancing, tango was personal. First introduction was from my father, who didn't dance. My father was blind. He absolutely loved any kind of music. The apartment had always been sounding with the classical music and tango. He loved tango music. It wasn't necessarily golden age of tango that we know and love so much. Some of it was, but some of it was, it was just a variety of tango music. Uh, there was a, a songwriter, singer, very famous in his day, his name was Leshenko. More about him in the show notes if you're interested. Who used to, after the Russian revolution, revolution, he actually ended up staying abroad, not in Soviet Union. So he had to make a living and he was performing in different places, singing tango and writing tangos. And they are in Russian. In Soviet Union, he was prohibited because whether he wasn't politically correct or the music wasn't politically correct. So we had like two or three of his records, which are, you know, 78, which is like one song on the record. And my father played it because it was so much fun. So one of them actually was Milonga, his favorite one. Anyway, so I grew up listening to tango music and always wanted to dance, never had a chance. Eugenia got married and had two daughters in her native Kiev, Ukraine, which was part of the Soviet Union at that time. In 1979, she and her family immigrated to the Washington, D.C. area, where she's lived ever since. We came here and raised children, and, um, and then my husband decided to trade me in for a younger model, <laughs> which happens, uh, unfortunately, quite often. And I saw a tango show, two by two tango. And all the performers on stage were like in their 40s, 50s, somewhere there. And I thought, this is, I love the music. I'm going to try it. So for literally two years, there was advertisement on television from Capital Tangeros. Capital Tangeros is a volunteer-run calendar of tango events that's still going well, strong today. Call this number. Remember, it was all before internet. Call this number and find out where you can take classes. So I procrastinated and then one day I went. 
So my first class was with Joe Petriska. I don't know if you even know this name, but he I lives know the name, now. but I don't think yeah, I've ever met he him. He now lives in Buenos Aires. At the very first time I went and took one class, which was 20 minutes, because I think I was maybe one of two people that showed up. <laughs> Chen, my second husband, like kept dancing with me. And I thought, why is he dancing with me? I don't know what am I doing at all. And like he invited me and a couple other guys. And one of them, um, don't want to mention the name, but he invited me to dance. And I told him, I said, this is my first class. I don't know what I'm doing. And he said, oh, no, no, you'll be fine. Put, took me on the dance floor in the middle of the first song. He said, you can't even walk. And dumped me. <laughs> oh my goodness and this oh is someone God, you don't so want to say the name because it's someone I might know someone who still dances he in actually well he actually sort of dropped out of tango I hope so uh, over the course <laughs> of years right the the funny thing was that Good when nice. I learned how to dance and I was more comfortable he was a terrible dancer you could not dance with him at all <laughs> but what a put down right so I think that we all went through somewhat similar experiences. <laughs> it's wonderful but that you anyway, kept dancing. You got, you got over dancing, the trauma. I kept dancing, yes. <laughs> After this one class with Joe, somebody told me about Leon's classes. It always like was a, a big party there. It was class and then a party. Every week I went to Leon's house for class. And it was just a great feeling of, because I was alone, of not being alone. And I made new friends, and I've been dancing ever since. It was a performance that inspired Eugenia to start dancing, but she soon found that what she most appreciated about the dance wasn't how it looked, but how it felt. You start with the conception of what tango is and what you should do. And I always say that we're all exhibitionists in a way because not many people dance tango. Wow, and I can do this. And then you realize that it is much more than just steps and show. It's internal, it's emotional, and it is also movement, which is beautiful. Problem with tango is that people see the fancy stuff and they think it's very difficult. And so it takes them a little bit of time to go from the thinking level of, oh, but this is really simple. Why couldn't I do it before? Because mm -hmm. it is. It's our prejudices in a way that stops us in the beginning to learn it the right way because it's really easy. <laughs> it's not scary. But to jump over that stumble stone, you know, that threshold of thinking that it doesn't have to be difficult I think it's hard. Hmm. Of course, it takes time to get yourself into the music. So the music fills you and you move according to that feeling of music that you have. Eugenia started spending time with Chan Park, the man who kept dancing with her at that first milonga. Enchanted by the culture and artistry of social tango dancers in Buenos Aires, also known as milongueros, Chan and Eugenia dedicated themselves to cultivating that subtle magic in their own dance and in their local D.C. community. Chan was much more ambitious than I was, and he 
absolutely lived that tango. He watched every video available. He bought them all. He started playing bandoneon. That would be the signature instrument of tango music. And his comment was, I don't understand. I know every step. Why can I not dance like Milan Garris? And of course, we began practicing together and one thing evolved into another. <laughs> and so for years, we were traveling and teaching tango as a result. But because Chan sort of analyzed what was happening, and it's not about steps, and it's about moving together and music, I truly attribute the change in our community to Milan Guerra style dancing, which is social dancing, from fantasy tango that uh, Joe taught at the time, and Leon taught a lot of steps. But, you know, every teacher contributed something to the community because Leon attracted tons of people. People will come and socialize. It was such a nice place to be together. I asked Eugenia to tell me more about the fantasy tango she encountered when she first started dancing. The fantasy tango is just easier to teach. So many of them did the same. They would teach steps and combinations that had really no connection to the music. And so people would learn steps and just do the steps. But I think the culture has changed a lot because since those days when there was almost no teachers coming from Argentina, we had influx of teachers. Now, when you see these teachers that are performers, they, when they teach lessons, they are very much focusing on basics because if you don't have the basics, you can't really do anything else. You can pretend you're doing it. And I think it happens because when people watch tango performance, they think of tango as show dance, as legs in the air. You know that. And it That's is what drives me crazy. Stage. Exactly. Well, because you, you get to that level that you understand how good tango is without making it a show. It doesn't have to be a show. It's more internalized, really, and that's why it's so beautiful than, you know, showing your legs in the air or, you know, making splits. It's, it's also beautiful, but you train for that eight hours a day. For us, for me, I would never do that. For most people, it's not the case. I don't think Eugenia would disagree that steps and choreography can be useful tools to get students moving and offer a foundation for practice. But too much emphasis on performing movements that may not come naturally to our bodies can distract from what's most sacred to social tango, our connection with our partners and the music. Fortunately, the movements of our bodies can be beautiful and meaningful with or without leg lifts and splits. Eugenia discovered this early in her tango journey when she found that ganchos and boleos, the leg hooks and flicks so iconic to tango performance, didn't actually fit well with her body. Many people were doing these ganchos and boleos that when I started dancing, I did them too. And I just asked somebody to record me when I was dancing. And when I saw what they look like, I said, okay, I'm done. <laughs> they were so awful. They were all half cooked, nothing that was what you know people on stage did. And I thought, this is really ugly. I am not doing this again. So for a very long time, I did not lift my feet off the floor. 
whatever I did was on the floor. And once in a while, I will do some embellishment, but generally it's not necessary and it doesn't add really anything to the social dancing. As you know, I'm sure that after you dance for a while, you realize that the most important thing is connection with your partner and enjoyment of the music while you're moving. Like fish, you know? You just go in circles and you just follow one another. And it's the tango universe of a tanda that you're enjoying with your partner. I love that image. Yeah, well, exactly. Although I have to admit, I actually really love boleos. Maybe it's that little no, remnant you, of ballet you, dancer that's left in me. <laughs> you started tango very young. I did mm. not. Mm. I was in my late 40s. The movement mm. is different. Mm. I was never trained as a dancer. I never danced before mm. tango. So, you know, the, the, the body is different. And older yeah. you get, of course, it's even more different. different. Yeah. Eugenia respects every dancer's right to develop their own unique approach to tango based on their body and life experiences. She also has an unambiguous philosophy on how to approach the social floor. You know, if you go to Buenos Aires, even younger people do not allow themselves to do fancy steps. Mm. Even professional dancers, if they go to Milonga, they do not perform. They just dance like everybody else, and they're beautiful to watch because their feeling of the music is so beautifully expressed. If they perform, different story. Of course, I want to see all of your ballets and all of that. But if you are in Milonga, if you find a space and time to do them, great. But they don't really want to hmm. because they lose the feeling. When you perform, it's a totally different feeling. When I dance, I always close my eyes. If the partner is good, if the partner is not good, that's a different story. You got to keep an eye out. Make sure that <laughs> you got to like, like, okay, I don't want him to break my back, you know, because <laughs> if he starts throwing me around like a potato sack, I don't like that. Right. But I dance with my eyes closed because when I dance with somebody, I feel that we become one for that particular song. I am not performing. I am just moving, but people that are watching may feel that it is my performance, which of course it is because mm -hmm. I'm in front of other people, mm -hmm. but it is not my intentional movement to perform. But I must say that sometimes when you have like a big audience and everybody is watching and especially like a lot of new people, you know, you sort of get into the mood of, how do I look? But it doesn't happen to me like constantly. I may be dancing and all of a sudden I open my eyes and see somebody watching and I start thinking about it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as you know, if you stop focusing on the mu music for one second, the dance immediately drops. Your partner will feel it immediately. This inward focus on self and partner is what Eugenia has tried to convey to her students over many years teaching tango. 
the style that we taught, which was really the simplicity of tango, takes longer time to absorb. It's easy to teach a step when you feel like, oh, I'm dancing, I'm making tango moves, you know? As you know, it's what counts is the miles on the dance floor. If you practice, you get it. If you listen to the music, you get it. It's almost like there are two styles of teaching. One is by inspiration and another one is by drills. Mm. And in tango, like in every subject really, if you wanna be good at it, it's a um, combination of the two. Mm. When you inspire somebody, they have to observe, they have to analyze, why am I attracted to this? Why do I want to do this? And you have to observe people that in tango situation, dance tango, the good dancers, to understand how they move. And then of course, try it yourself. Teachers are important, but you are the best teacher. At some point you graduate from high school, right? And then you're on your own and you have to figure out what to do with the skills that you have. You, you go to college, you go wherever you go, but life is a lifelong learning experience. It's a process. It's not, it's not a destination that you reach. You have to continue working on whatever you do, tango included. Since she started dancing tango over 20 years ago, Eugenia has focused primarily on the follower's role. She still identifies strongly with that role, but since Chan relocated to Europe and their relationship transitioned from marriage to friendship, Eugenia has expanded her horizons for connecting with partners and music by leading. I actually was spoiled because I met Chan in the beginning and he was very intense and he was a very good dancer. And I never had a trouble having partners. Um, don't know. I, even when I traveled by myself, I always danced with somebody invited me to dance and, and I had good experiences. And then when we split up, um, I wanted to dance. And I wanted to dance to the music because for me, that's the most important thing. And it's very unfortunate, but not many guys either wanted to dance with me or dance to the music, whatever happened. And I just started leading. I never really took classes. I just thought I'll give it a shot. And I, it worked out. Now, I never really learned how to lead steps. So I can lead a turn, I can lead arches, I can lead pretty much basic steps. I do not do anything fancy. And I always felt super sorry for women who come to Milonga and they sit out entire Milonga because people don't invite them to dance. And we know that they are, you know, pretty girls that may not even be good dancers, but men prefer dancing with them. And um, I just always felt super sorry for these women because, you know, they made an effort to come out. They want to move, they want to dance and they just sit out. So I started doing that. I started leading. If I see somebody sitting for like entire dance and nobody's inviting them, I would, I would dance with them. I don't think it matters at all who is leading, who is following in terms of gender. 
because we're all in this to dance. In my case, I prefer to follow, but I can lead. Why do you prefer following? Um, I feel more like a woman. It's so interesting to see how Tango evolves within a community. It's like when, when you have a group of older dancers who had been trained or who had observed to internalize the dance and pass that stage of um, fantasy, should we call it, right? And became really good partners. It takes some time and unfortunately not everybody gets there maybe i feel that i got there earlier rather than later and so for me maintaining that sensibility of tango is very important and i think that older milangueras and i consider myself milangera perhaps just evolved to the point of dancing in a particular way but it doesn't diminish the fun of watching younger people who are doing uh, a little bit more on the dance floor, maybe visually. And I don't want to call it performance because sometimes you feel like doing more. It comes within the timing. You cannot do anything without correct timing. So remember I said to you that I stopped doing ballets after my first year of tango and I had myself recorded? Yeah. But now when I dance with the right partner and I feel the right timing, I can do a balea and it's quite enjoyable. It's not wrong, but generally I dance close. I don't make big steps. And that's another thing. The smaller the steps, the better dancer you are. Uh, and I allow myself to express that feeling that balea I think brings me. So, I feel much more comfortable doing this than I did before. And I don't know what it looks like. Maybe I should record myself again and say never again. Only <laughs> if you know. care, right? Do you care? <laughs> Not that I care. Exactly. That's the question. At this point, I don't care. So who cares what somebody sees? It doesn't matter. You know, Martha Grams dance like nobody is watching. And that's really the key to tango too. You should. <laughs> because it doesn't matter who can see you doing whatever it's <laughs> you who experiences the move and the tango however simple or elaborate our tango may we always keep our focus on the music that inspires us and the people with whom we share the dance thanks to eugenia and to the internet archive where i found the song featured in this episode la puñalada written by Pintin Castellanos and recorded by Juan D'Arienzo y su Orquesta Típica. 